0: This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Ned Group Investments Insights at 10. Thank you all for for joining us here today. And today we are talking about passive. We have Yanni Leach, head of core, who is joining us. And you'll be covering two things today. Firstly, the core bond fund, a fund that has been where we've seen more interest and requests. So we'll be covering that for a while. And after that, we'll have our uh, report back uh, for the quarter on the entire uh, core range. So with that, I'm going to hand over to Yanni.
1: Thanks, Sean. Uh, good morning, everybody. So, like Sean said, I mean, if we go to the uh, overview page, I'm just going to do a short update on the core business and and the team and then i'll look at the core bond fund and then finally give an update on the multi-asset core range so we go to slide number three so just the growth i mean so the core business has grown quite rapidly over the last few years i mean this year we're sitting at just just over 33 billion uh, as at the end of tuesday a lot of that is because the markets, of course, have corrected quite dramatically during March. But, I mean, the business is now in its 11th year of existence. The funds have built up solid track records. We have the largest passive or rules-based fund in the country. Our core diversified fund is sitting at just under $14 billion at the moment. And then, I mean, the, our funds are available on most of the list platforms, umbrellas, uh, and are used by DFMs, asset consultants. I think uh, probably close to 2,000 financial advisors countrywide. If you look at the breakdown just of assets, say our core bond fund, the one I'll talk just now, uh, is sitting at about 1.8 billion. Our multi-asset assets are sitting at about 23 billion, and then our global assets are sitting at about 8.8 billion. In terms of the team updates, so I mean in the past it just, it just used to be myself and one analyst. Uh, as our business have grown and our responsibilities, the team has also grown. So We were recently joined by Tracy Jensen. She was ex-10X. She was responsible for designing the 10X equivalent of our our core range, and and so she's got a lot of experience in these kind of solutions. Uh, She's also the person behind our new Living Annuity Plus structure that we'll be talking about in the next few months. And then Leonard has joined us recently uh, straight out of uh, university, and so getting him up to speed in terms of the, the, the fund range. The question we get quite often is what really differentiates net group investments as core range. I mean, there's quite a few different solutions and balance funds available in the market. The thing I think that that uh, which differentiates us from our, our, our peers is that a lot of the funds started out as partnerships with, with fund managers, financial advisors, etc. So the way and the, the, the way that we focus on these strategies is so that they fit within a financial planning environment. And for us, a really important component is investor behavior. And so in the design of the solutions, we try to build in uh, elements where an advisor would not have to go and explain relative performance risk to the clients. And so a lot of those 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 factors are built into the way it's implemented, the way it's rebalanced, uh, etc. And then, I mean, with passive or with quantum, type strategies usually it's very smart mathematical people that come up with it and quite often uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the theory but not necessarily on the actual practical implementation of that theory and uh, we've always taken a very practical approach to to these kind of strategies it's important for us to get the big picture right and make sure that you can actually deliver uh, uh, on that uh, solution so now if I move on to the core bond fund on slide number six So the first question I think I'm going to uh, look at is sort of like why consider a bond fund. Um, I mean, in the past, I think the vast majority of investors have made use of your multi-asset income kind of funds where an asset manager would... Decide on whether to take more duration, whether to use other sources of yield, et cetera. Additionally, bonds funds have mainly been used by uh, multi-managers as a building block within a portfolio for diversification uh, relative to equity. On rare occasions, it's been used as a standalone fund for yield uh, or income. And I think the thing that, that sort of like has prompted a lot of advisors and, and and consultants and clients who start looking at at bond funds at this point in time is the attractive yields that they're currently offering. So partly because of the uh, Moody's downgrading, what's been happening in, in, in SA over the past few years in terms of the poor economic conditions, sort of all led to our bond yields increasing. I mean, and it's gotten to the point now where on a typical bond fund, you're getting over 10% yields, which is quite an attractive rate if you think of it from a long-term perspective. I mean, it's nearly inflation plus six. And then, of course, these kind of funds typically distribute their income on a quarterly basis. So if somebody wants to use it in a living annuity structure, they could use those quarterly steady income to, to, to cover costs. And then, like I said, I mean, at inflation plus six, uh, it's quite a good long-term yield now importantly one needs to remember that bond funds are not as low risk as money market funds Uh, they typically experience a lot of capital volatility but of course the income remains constant so that's quite important so if you're only withdrawing the income then the capital you can endure the, the, the capital volatility but of course you require a longer term time horizon now coming to the core bond fund on slide number eight so just like we sort of went about in deciding the multi-asset range. When we when we had to decide on how to structure the core bond fund, we went and we had a look at the bond peer industry. And I mean, we specifically looked at the bond peers who only manage vanilla bonds, so we exclude multi-managers, inflation bond managers, and other tracker funds. And the thing we found was that the dispersion in the returns between bond funds is extremely small. So, I mean, if you look at the table on the right-hand side of the presentation, you can see that if I've taken the last seven years' returns and analysed them, you can see the difference between the best performing bond fund the worst performing bond fund and the average and then if you actually go and have a look at the second best performing bond fund delivered about 5.8% and so if you actually take the the extreme ones out you'll find that the vast majority of bonds were actually within a dispersion of plus uh, or minus 0.6% from the average Um, Which is a very narrow range if you compare that to your equity funds where that dispersion is over 3% per annum uh, in that space. Which means that if you can broadly keep the same duration as the peers, but you charge lower fees, you're gonna have a strategic advantage. In other words, you should be able to to end up in the top quartile uh, over time. And that's basically the, the investment thesis behind the fund, is that we're trying to match the duration of the peers, and then we charge lower fees, and then, by making sure that we implement efficiently, we we save additional costs, and through that, in time, uh, the fund should be very, should deliver very competitive returns versus other bond funds. The funds also achieve scale. So, I mean, of course, the bigger you are, you are, the easier it is to 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 manage this. And currently, the fund sitting at just uh, over 1.8 billion. We go to the team that manages the core bond fund on slide number nine. So this is exactly the same team that's also responsible for the multi-asset funds. So it is Charles Alderman. So Charles has been involved with the core fund since the inception and then Liesl Low and Keo that assist him on the investment management side. Liesl has taken over a lot of the implementation on the multi-asset funds, so she's become increasingly more involved in those solutions. Charles does a lot of investment management in bond funds, so he does a liability-driven investing models for institutional funds. So he's got extensive experience in the bond space. So, just at a high level, I've I've sort of like covered that the main thesis behind the investment philosophy of the Corpon Fund is to stay largely neutral and modified duration. The way that we determine the duration of peers is by doing daily regression on peer returns. So of course, duration is defined as price sensitivity, and so by looking at the daily ups and downs of, of price returns, we are able to, to deduce what the durations are, are on those funds. We do attribution, like in terms of where the vast majority of the bonds in our fund sit versus the government bonds uh, or the all bond index, and at various other market dynamics in terms of trading frequency issuance and in the, in the prime Money market etc then on the credit side because the peers hold credit we need to have a certain allocation to credit but that all follows the Qantas credit process which is used in our cash solutions our core income fund our money market fund and in their credit fund and so that's also implemented in a very sensible way. in and it typically at the moment I think there's about 17 or 18 percent in credit in the fund and then the key thing that I think is applicable to all the core solutions is just really being patient and practical about implementation and sort of balancing tracking error versus the cost of trading. And that's especially important in the bond space where you quite often have to deal with illiquidity in some of the bonds. Slide 11 just shows the uh, an example of how we determine the duration. So, All these lines on the left-hand side is the daily price movements of the vanilla bond peers. And then through that, we are able to determine whether there is an increase or a decrease in duration. Of course, this is not an exact science, but because... Not all the bond managers uh, increase their duration or decrease the duration at a given time. There's more than enough time to 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 allocate and and, and start move moving the the duration of the, the the fund. as more and more peers, let's say start increasing their duration. Uh, it'll become more and more obvious. so this is broadly the way that we we determine that uh, on a daily basis, most bond bond funds, of course, don't trade every single day. And so it's important to monitor it, but it doesn't necessarily imply that we have to do any trades on a, on a daily basis. In terms of implementation, so like I said, this is quite an important element in the implementation of bond funds. So, I mean, a lot of these topics are very technical, but I sort of just covered them at a, at a high level. So the first one is basket trading. So this is just going into the market and just buying a basket uh, of bonds. So a lot of bond tracker funds do it. And the problem with that is that some of the bonds are liquid and you're getting a good relative prices, others aren't. And so you can be giving away a lot of yield by just indiscriminately uh, uh, investing in these uh, basket trades. So we prefer to follow the the, the approach of just buying one or, or, or two bonds. And, of course, above the minimums, because as soon as you are in those like odd lot bond trades, then, again, are you giving yield away. So it's it's just being practical around that implementation. The second one we use when we really have to, which is spread trading. So this is just when you don't have liquidity and you have to go to the secondary market. And typically, what happens in the secondary market, uh, you'll be given a, a spread for a specific bond above a. A reference liquid bond so for example the R186 would typically be the liquid bond and then if you want to purchase the R2048 there will be a defined spread and so you'll basically then buy the R186 and then sell it to the in the secondary market to purchase the R2048 at that agreed uh, spread and then uh, the last one is just knowing how the broker market in the bond market works. So typically, we prefer to work, make use of agency brokers. So I mean, there are two types of of, of broker, uh, brokers in the bond market: it's, it's your principal and agency. So agency typically just act on behalf of clients, whereas principals, which are mostly banks actually hold their own inventory and so quite often there is when you're dealing with the banks there's an asymmetry of information the banks know a lot more about the, what's happening in the market what's trading and then of course there is a bit of conflict in terms of them trying to trade their their own inventory and so generally agency brokers are preferred and then there's just there's daily monitoring on how the bonds perform the maturity credit uh, etc and so those things are just very carefully monitored i mean in our multi-asset funds where We've done attribution versus typical bond trackers over time in terms of how we do matching duration as opposed to just buying according to the, the weights per the all bond index. I mean, we've probably saved about 0.5% per annum by just implementing it more effectively in the bond market to doing it. And so the, the core bond fund is implemented along the same lines. Slide number 13 just shows the current mature, uh, the holdings. So, I mean, what's clear is that the credit component is quite small in the fund. I mean, the vast majority of the allocation is to SA government bonds. If we look at the right-hand side, the maturity spreads in the uh, fund is that the vast majority of the, the, the bonds are also of your longer duration. Uh, and then some of that is balanced out by having uh, uh, small allocations to, for example, our core income fund in the portfolio. Funds current duration is sitting at about, well, it was 5.82 at the end of March. It's sitting at about 5.62 at a yield of about 10.9% before fees. So it's quite a, a, an attractive yield from a long-term perspective. And then the final presentation, to some extent, is just uh, the... Proof is in the pudding, so to speak, that the core bond fund is actually delivered on the strategy. So, if we look at the returns, I mean, over the shorter term, the fund has outperformed the peer, this peer median uh, that only consists of vanilla bond managers by about 2.5%. I mean, this is partly due to us getting cash flows. And so adding a little bit more cash in the portfolio and uh, therefore withering the, the door down a little bit more. But I mean, if you can look, if you look at over the seven year period, there's a 0.7% difference of which 0.4% is the fee differential. And then I will say there's probably another 0.2, 0.3% in terms of the uh, uh, implementation in the portfolio. And so it's broadly, it is delivered on the strategy of matching duration and then keeping the flows lower. And you can see the performance. It's the second best performing fund out of those 13 peers. And then if you look at all the other bonds, the multi-managers, et cetera, it's the third best performing uh, fund. And so sort of just do a quick recap. So, I mean, I think one of the big uh, advantages of the fund is very competitively priced it doesn't take any bets in terms of duration versus the peers uh, and then it's sensibly implemented uh, in a cost effective way and like i said before is that one of the big reasons why a lot of people are asking about bond funds this time is because of the attractive uh, yields now if we move on to the multi-asset funds i mean this is how where uh, most of the, the the investors are invested in if I just do a quick recap uh, on slide number 17, the South African Leg 28 range consists of our core accelerated fund. That is basically a max REC 28 fund, so it's got a combined equity and property allocation of about 90%. Our flagship fund is our core diversified fund, so it's a traditional balance fund, and that's got about 75% in equity and listed property. And then lastly, our stable fund, which is our core guarded, and that's got about an equity and property allocation of about 42%. Our global fund, our core global, this is just a global equivalent of our core diversified, so it's a typical balance, but only global exposure. That fund is available in a USD dollar-denominated fund and in a RAND-denominated uh, feeder fund all these funds on slide 19 have just got the strategic asset allocation follow exactly the same implementation philosophy they invested in the same asset classes uh, the only difference is the asset allocation and then of course on the global side the core global fund have only got the uh, global asset classes the funds have got clear rebalancing rules so the funds are rebalanced on a quarterly basis so at the end of March when we saw the massive pullback the funds were rebalanced back to these strategic weightings and so they were able to 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 capture a little bit more of the rebound in April which can be seen on the next slide slide 20 this is just looking at how the funds have withered the storm during March and then I've also shown the year-to-date returns uh, up until Tuesday that captures the rebound that's happened during April I mean over the years I've had a lot of queries from clients that always say no but our passive funds generally do worse in in bear markets And as I've said on a previous call, there are some active managers that do better. I mean, you can see it in the one-month return. Our balance fund and two of the competitive funds have done well. But if you look at the vast majority, you've actually had a very similar outcome. So between, I would say, the vast majority of balance funds were down by between 11 and 14%. Core diversified was down by 11.5. The core accelerated that has significantly more risk assets in it was down by only 14.5%. So I mean, and that is just a testament to the level of diversification in the funds of having not just more asset classes, but having more individual holdings and having those caps in place in the equity and the property space. So we can see if you look at the year-to-date numbers with the rebound, the diversified fund is going to be sitting at about down by about 6% and the accelerated fund by about 10.2%. A lot of the peers are sort of around that there are the exceptions that I've uh, been able to produce better returns. Uh, but like I said, the majority of the big plan peers are in line and in many cases worse off uh, than the funds. And So for us, this is quite a nice, it's, it's nice to finally be able to show to clients that a lot of the research that went into designing the funds have actually been able to to assist the funds during a typical time, a time like this. Slide 21 is basically just the guarded fund and it's exactly the same Story is The garden fund was down by about 7.3 percent during March. A lot of the peers were down by eight percent. The other two exceptions, our stable fund and another competitor fund. Some funds were even down by 12 percent. And then, year to date, the guarded fund is down by 2.4 percent. Like I said, it's actually better than most of the other big brand peers, uh, except our stable and one competitor fund. So, I mean, we're quite happy with how the other funds have weathered the storm. And again, because they were designed not to have to explain relative performance, I think it's an easier conversation uh, with clients. I thought it would be good to just do a quick contribution, and I've used the core diversified fund as an example of attributing the where the returns came from over the past year. So on slide 22, if you look at the left-hand side, it's just a asset class attribution. So you can see the biggest ne- negative factors in the fund from an asset allocation perspective have been equity and property, which are down by 23 and 57% uh, respectively. Which led to about a minus 12 and minus two and a half percent drop the downside protection really came from your bonds and then of global on the global side where that and depreciation has definitely helped um you can see and that's basically up by 3.6 percent i've looked at the individual contributors and detectors on the right hand side you can see the top five contributors of course is the global funds too and then some of your defensive shares, like Sabanya, Clicks and Anglos. And then, of course, the detectors is on the property and your banks. Uh, and then, as we know, Sassol had quite a bit of a, a shock at the beginning of the year, making it the biggest detector, and I think most portfolios. Just a quick contribution on the Global Fund. This is really where you can see one of the design features in terms of do, uh, offering downside protection is Global Fixed Income. And it's really, if you look at the the contribution to the fund returns, like it's your global fixed income that's provided some downside protection uh, compared to global equity and global property with it, but it down by a double digit numbers. So minus 10% for global equity and minus 21% for uh, global property. And what our research showed is that global fixed income in RANDs is usually one of your best forms of downside protection in extreme market events, where both your SA and your global equities typically have become highly correlated. And just as a final conclusion, I always like the analogy of unforced errors. I mean, investments for me is a little bit like a tennis game that never ends you can't really ever win it but you can lose it and so if you can avoid the number of unforced errors uh, in the whole investment process you can end up delivering uh, reasonably consistent uh, returns over time and so for me the five main factors that that we try or the fine unforced errors that we try to avoid is having too little diversified risk and so having a, a consistent A risk asset or equity and property exposure through a cycle is what drives your long-term growth. The second one is by not taking too much concentrated risk, and that's why what we've done is we've diversified it over, like I said, I think it is just over 3,000 shares in total and almost 8,000 fixed income instruments in the portfolios, and then with caps in place for equity and property. We don't try and do market timing. I think it's very difficult to do that, and it comes at costs. And then we try and keep our transaction costs down. And and, and we we really pay a lot of attention to all the cost and taxes that's involved in portfolios. And by, I think, combining those uh, factors into the design of the fund, we've been uh, able to to deliver reasonably robust uh, performance that is typically well understood of why the funds behave in certain ways during certain market conditions. And that's it from my side.
0: Okay, I don't think there are any questions. Um, Yanni, I think you've covered a lot of the detail. Just uh, in summary, as Yanni said, we're now in the 11th year of existence uh, in the core business. And uh, one of the funds that we are profiling in quite quite a lot at the moment is the Bond Fund. So we have a lot of that information uh, that you can receive from your relationship manager. So I wish you all a happy long weekend. And again, thank you for calling in. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.